everybody, welcome to the Vox Podcast. Mike, Tim, and Bonnie here, and um, two out of the three of us have their hair up, and I will let you decide which two that is, but I feel very much marginalized. Yeah, but the first two don't count. <laughs> so anyway, we're, we're delighted to be with you today. Tim, you've got a little something for us here to kick us off. Yeah, uh, just a little micro community update. Um, so uh, w- uh, w- uh, well over 100 of you guys have uh, in- made inquiries into um, wanting to be a part of micro communities. And we have a and we have about two or three areas that actually have enough people to start. And we've emailed uh, the folks who want to host those. And that is the Dallas Plano. Is it Plano? Plano? Yeah, Plano, P- Plano. Texas. Plano. Yep. Uh, and they are already scheduling their first. Um, so we're, we thought we'd get you guys started now and you could do virtual Zoom meetings like we do everything on Zoom these days. So uh, just to kind of meet each other and start building community in a different way that could spill over once the world resets. Um, so Dallas, Plano area is starting. Phoenix, Arizona, we have enough for. Um, uh, we I emailed out to the hosts, so hopefully we'll be getting those organized soon. If you're in either of those areas and have not inquired, send me an email at tim at voxpodcast.com, and I will get you to those hosts. And the other idea we had is that if you guys are, uh, there's so many people, but you guys are all in isolated areas that aren't quite near um, other folks, but we thought maybe we might set up just random groups of people to meet over zoom so you could be from alaska tennessee arizona or whatever and then we'll just kind of plug you guys together in a group and you guys can start meeting and uh, building a virtual community so um if you're interested in that that's something we started a, a vox micro community closed facebook group um closed only uh, just to keep it organized, but we'll let whoever in that wants to join a micro community and then we'll start facilitating and putting people together in there. Um, all right. I think that's it for that. Yep. So and and Columbus, we're going to schedule our first zoom meeting for, uh, for Columbus here in the next couple of weeks as well. When yeah. you said, you know, I hit my head yesterday and when you, <laughs> when you said <laughs> this well, true story, this is a true story. And right now, when you just said this closed group, I heard clothes. That's funny. And yeah. I thought clothing is not optional. That's it's weird. Uh, it's necessary. <laughs> yes. So if At anyone else heard that, you must be clothed. Did you see the police in I think it was Maryland had to remind people to put their pants on before they go check their mail? Oh my gosh. <laughs> it's I just that. It. Yeah. It's just where we are. It's <laughs> It's, it's just where just we are. Where we are. I know. When Texas shut down and then the governor was <clears> like, I passed a law that you can take out any adult beverage from any takeout, this person was like, it just feels like there isn't any rules anymore. <laughs> like anybody's <laughs> doing anything. That's right. All right. So excellent, Tim. Um, follow up on that. And then Bonnie has planned, got some uh, good stuff for us yeah, so in the next t- month. On today's episode is the one. One. And Only. Only. Timothy Gombus. Gom, 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 gom. What's his what's, what's his middle name? I don't know. Okay, well, we need to find that out. We should. We should find, and so when I was talking to my husband about this episode yesterday after he recorded it, and he's like, "Listen, I don't know why you insist all of a sudden on calling him Tim. You always call him Gombus." Yeah. And I'm like, yeah. I don't know. Other people call him Jim by his first name. So whatever rolls off the tongue, I guess. He is on the episode today, and we wanted to talk to him. So he's been doing these blog posts and Facebook posts. So if you 
aren't friends with him on Facebook, you should uh, get in there because he has great discussions. And one in the midst of this uh, pandemic that really sparked discussion was when he said, God is not in control. And so that obviously raised a few eyebrows or ruffled some feathers, but also made a lot of people think and just sort of go, gosh, what do I believe about that? And what does the Bible say? So we started this episode with Tim talking about that. And then we also got feedback from you guys that no one's in their cars anymore. So it's a shorter episode. And then we broke it into two. So we decided, hey, let's have a sort of the next four episodes all be sort of linked together. And then at the end, we get to digest it. So today we're talking about God is not in control. Then we have another part two of Tim Gombus coming at you the week after. And then we, which ends on this question about the role of God in the Bible and how we read the Bible and uh, what we think about it. So then that's going to segue us into uh pete ends where we talk about the role of the bible and then all three of us are going to do an outro on all of those topics so that's a lot to follow but today <laughs> part one tim gombas and and the the we think there's there's so much that's juicy yeah and so many questions that'll come in if you want to start sending your emails to hello at voxpodcast.com the 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 reason we had the idea to do a whole outro episode on all of this mm-hmm. is because it's very challenging stuff. Yeah. And if we were going to do an outro on each one, it, it, it would be too long. It would defeat the purpose yeah. of the shorter episodes. Yeah. Yes. <laughs> so we're like, very okay, true. we better just do our own episode. All right. So ladies and gentlemen, Gombus. All right, guys. This is it. This is the big one. There's no bigger one than the one we're just about to do. We are podcasting live from our Zoom headquarters in, let's see, California, Texas, Michigan, and Ohio. And we have with us today, Dr. Tim Gombas. They're all great football states. All great football <laughs> states. Well, I was gonna, I was gonna say Ohio that. The Ohio one is, is kind of better than the rest of them. I'm just gonna yeah. throw that out there. But Historically historically that's all i mean that's i'm just it's just data guys we just let the science lead us okay tim gombas i'm here with bonnie and uh timothy john stafford and we are thrilled uh tim for your time today how is quarantine going i'm loving it i'm totally <laughs> loving it i have to be honest uh i know that this is not the same for everybody but uh you know, our, th- our three kids are grown, and it's Get just my wife and me here. And uh, we love, I love being alone. We both, lo- we both love being alone. So to be stuck in is just the best. I, I get out plenty. I'd take my walks every day, but this is like, I don't know. My life is fine. <laughs> What's the longest you have gone in quarantine without changing clothes? Oh, I, I shower every day and change clothes every day. But I mean, I put on the same jeans. I probably wore these jeans for three weeks, but they're great jeans. Okay, so. <laughs> so I wear, I, I wear the same hoodie for like my a week. question. How many days in a row have you worn the same outfit? All right, I'll be totally honest with you. I, uh, uh, all right, this, this is a lot of details. 
You I'm can see my button, my button-down shirt, yep. and this hoodie, and yep. my jeans. Uh, probably will go like maybe eight or nine days, but I I shower every day. A new underwear, a new T-shirt. Perfect. Oh, so just the button-up and the hoodie stays. And the jeans. Yeah. And the jeans. And the and jeans. The, je- yeah, the jeans. Yeah. Yeah. See, that's what I'm looking for. That's, that's my continuity. Yeah. And Although, uh, the same yeah. pair of socks for about a week. Same oh pair of socks gosh, for the week. No, you had, they can't. You can't do that. <laughs> these are smart they have wool. To... They, they're, these are smart wool. wool. They're no smart order. wool, Bonnie. No, I'm. There's. They're getting at some point in those eleven the days. Is, I don't wear any they're, shoes. They're getting oh, floppy, Tim. They just get more comfortable. Oh, I love mm-hmm. it. Uh, what is your quarantine drink of choice these days? Uh, besides coffee. <laughs> Yes, my daily coffee. So uh, there's a great, a great Belgian beer called La Fin du Monde. Oh yeah, and, uh, that was translates so roughly into Coors Light. <laughs> yeah, is how I heard that. It's it's uh, the nectar of the gods, and it's uh, <laughs> what is it? The end of the world is I think that so? Yeah, in French or Latin or something like that. I don't know. It's great. Perfect. And and what like um, best movie you watched so far? Well, I don't know how many times I've watched The Big Lebowski in the last <laughs> month. Have you seen that, Bonnie? But that's that's no. an abiding no. classic. Um, yeah, I don't know that I've seen a new movie. What, what are your we, feelings about? We watched about... Brother Where Art the other oh, day. Oh, nice. Little Coen Bros. Uh, what, what are your feelings on Scooby Doo, just as a cartoon? I don't know if I've ever seen an episode Boom. in my life. <laughs> Vindication. I never no. got into the cartoons. Said. Exactly. And that's because that, they're for kids. That's I didn't. <laughs> I enjoyed them when I was a kid. It's not. It's not a big deal. Back before we had the internet, Saturday morning cartoons oh, were a big deal. That was a big deal. Yeah. They'll never know how rough we had it. Never got it. We could never watch TV on Saturday mornings. Yeah, I I mean, I had a, a great upbringing, but Saturday mornings were piano practice, if you can imagine. Oh. Or in the summer, baseball practice, but Oof. not Winners a cartoon were watcher. exceptionally rough then for you. It's <laughs> okay. tough years. Well, let me ask you this, uh, and thank you again for joining us. Um, Tim has been a regular on our show and a great friend to us individually. Um, a best friend of Bonnie, uh, but a great friend of the rest of us. <laughs> and um, <laughs> and so you've written this, uh, a, a series of blog posts um, that have you know been posted on also your Facebook page that um, have prompted lots of discussion. And, and uh, so we were excited to just get an opportunity to explore that topic with you. Um, cool. The, uh, the title of the post... Uh, post number one was God is not in control, which I don't know, Tim, if you know this, but that flatly contradicts the Bible. So do you want to explain <laughs> yourself <laughs> as a theologian contradicting God? No, uh, what prompted that? And, and what do you mean by it? Um, I saw something. um I mean, this is just my normal process. If I, if I have a conversation with somebody and something sticks in my head or I see something somewhere, I'll just chew on it for a long time. I'll, I uh, when I take my walks in the morning, I just play with play with it in my head, 
turn it over in my mind, see what, you know, does it make sense? Is it legit? And um, I'm very familiar with the, with, with the way of thinking uh, about God as a God of control and um, trying to understand uh, our world and try to make sense of it and explain it all as making sense. And um, there's, there are ways that we think about suffering and ways that we think about events that happen in our lives. And, and also there are ways that we think about uh, like decisions that we make, God directing us and all this, you know, God's will, all this kind of stuff. And I'm very familiar with all those because I grew up in an evangelical culture that, that um, fostered all these ways of thinking. And I don't know, maybe about three weeks ago when all uh, – I, I don't know. I don't know what year it is, or what month it is, or what day it is. I, I can't remember when this happened, but a number of days ago, um, I just saw somewhere online someone had posted, you know, uh, put as like their backdrop, the back thing on Facebook, whatever that's called. Uh, God is in control, and I just thought, and I started hearing that. I heard it from another Christian leader. You know, let's just remember that God is in control, and I haven't thought about this for a long time. Uh, that's just not that's not a helpful or faithful way of thinking about God's relation mm -hmm. to the world in scripture that doesn't represent rightly what's going on. And it's also a really problematic uh, way of thinking. It's, it's a problematic expression when it, when it just occupies our brains because it leads us to run all kinds of implications out that are almost all bad. And um, so, you know, I knew that the title of that would be would get it you know grab people's attention they just wanted to figure out what i meant but uh uh yeah when i thought about making that the title i thought this is exactly what this actually represents what's going on in scripture god is not in control mm. um humanity in genesis 3 uh chose not well i'll say it this way God commissioned humanity to continue spreading his order of shalom throughout creation mm -hmm. um, to base themselves in the garden where God's presence was uniquely and then to um, draw on resources from the garden to continue bringing order to what was chaotic outside the garden. Mm -hmm. That was to be humanity's open-ended project that would have taken I don't know how long. Um, but humanity chose to sort of side with chaos outside the garden and not bring order to it. Um, and so uh, God maintains his kind of posture toward his creation and grievously announces to them in Genesis 3, like, this is what you now have. Um, you have this, uh, you're going to have this experience of just ongoing chaos and destruction, and it's going to be a painful experience from here on out. Let me back and, you up for just one second, if I may. So to interrupt you, you you distinguish between God's identity as king. Oh yeah, and then the manifestation of His kingship. I think that'd be really helpful to kind of start because I think there's some people that will hear God is not in control, and that just means then that there's no guarantee of anything. There's no guarantee good good wins. Uh, the resurrection was an accident. Prayer doesn't mean anything. So so I want to start way back and say, okay, so what? Oh yeah, when we talk about control. God is king. We both agree, right, that God is sovereignly king over the universe. Yeah. Yeah. Um, yeah, God is, that's his identity. That's who he is. He is the, he is the creator. He's the king of his creation. 
It's just that his creation is in the kind of condition that is not depicting that he is king. And, and because he's that? king, uh, because humanity, the image, uh, God's kingship can only be seen in creation by the image depicting that. And so uh, because the image is not depicting that, but is depicting chaos, uh, we are inhabiting God's temple um, in an inappropriate way. So, I mean, the, the world is God's temple, but the image is acting as if what is happening you know, on the transcendent level is just pure chaos. But, but that's not true. God is king over his world. Um, it's just that his world is not being the world that God wanted the world to be. And because God is king, he is, he is on his way to retake it. In fact, that's God's identity in Revelation, the one who is, the one who was and who is and who is to come. And it's not that he is going to be in the future. That's not what's happening there. It's a, a Greek participle. He's, he's the one who's coming. He's, he's on his way to retake his world and to reassert his sovereignty. But until that happens, um, I mean, the, the, the next thing that we're waiting for is for God to reassert his kingship and take back his world and completely renew it, which he will do at the day of Christ. So that's our hope. Our hope is in resurrection in the future. But until then, we've chosen this, this chaos, this random destructiveness, and it's, it's awful. So we see God in, Genesis, in the early chapters of Genesis manifesting his rule or his kingship through human image bearers, correct? Yep. Okay. And then when those human image bearers go sideways, God doesn't re, he doesn't rearrange the project. He allows that to happen. Oh yeah. Yeah. So you see all the way up through Genesis 11, human, like everything just goes bad. It's Genesis 11 is like the low point of the Bible. Yeah. It's just, it is, it's all bad. Um, and then when God begins to intervene, he, call, he does so through a human, and he calls Abraham to start this long unfolding project of getting the thing back. And, uh, and then Israel is called by God uh, to manifest his faithfulness, actually, to his creation. And then that goes bad, uh, which, which is why Paul has to raise and answer the question in Romans 2 and 3, uh, if Israel was unfaithful, does that mean God is unfaithful? No. I mean, because you've got God, at, that's his identity, and it's going to be manifested through a faithful nation. But just because the faithful nation, or just because Israel's not faithful, doesn't mean God's not faithful. And just because the human is stuck in unrighteousness in Romans 1, that doesn't mean God is unrighteous. Hmm. So it's like, this is how Paul is reasoning. So I kind of took cues from that. Um, but can God, I ask a question real quick? Yeah. I'm so, again, I hate to uh, interrupt. Dude, I don't know. I'm just talking. You interrupt the flow. No, no, track. No, no. <laughs> no, I'm, I'm just I'm trying like, to make sure I'm getting some I haven't talked to anybody these... for a month. So <laughs> it's all coming out. <laughs> so, so the short answer, is God in control? The short answer is no, with appropriate nuances for what we mean by control. Yeah. Um, and, and the reason that that's the case is because the human image bearers aren't reflecting the kingship of God throughout creation as they should be. Yes, that... partly. I, I would 
I would just totally toss out the word control. It, it does no good work. Okay. It's uh, God's sovereign kingship over his world looks like uh, humans being uh, faithful to God and ruling creation on his behalf, subduing it. And it, it just control is nowhere in view. It's just a bad way of thinking. Um, it was never it was never control in Genesis one and two. Uh, God invites and commissions humanity to do this work, and in a sense, God is going to watch humanity manifest His glory, and He's He intends to just love it as it happens. He, he's not controlling anything. Mm-hmm. So, in that one post, I talked about um, God telling the humans to name the animals, which the human does that, and. Uh, it says that God brought the animals before the human to see what he would call them. So it's like, God's not controlling that event. The human does it and God observes it. And that's kind of how things were supposed to go. So mm-hmm. con- if, if I was asked, is God in control? I would just want to say, it's just not, that's not a good way of thinking about God's relationship to the world at any time. And when he reasserts his sovereignty in the future, at the day of Christ, he's not going to be in control of it then. It's just that humans will start a project of actually subduing creation on God's behalf because we will be restored image bearers. We'll be rulers with Christ. We'll be ruling. But Bonnie and Tim, why do you think the whole God in control thing is so popular? If, if it, you know what I mean? Like, what, what is it about that? What does that do for us in popular Christian circles? that makes a a post like God is not in control so disorienting. I think for me, it's like, uh, and I could be totally wrong and blasphemous in this response. So you can flog me appropriately, however you feel. (laughs) But for me, it has always seemed kind of like a placebo effect. Like the, um, if you're able to kind of just like, rest in that idea then you don't have to confront or participate in it if that makes sense it's the same thing yeah, with like god's like that this virus is god's judgment right it's almost the same thing where it's like well we can take yeah. solace in the idea that 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 we're wretched and somebody did something really terrible and so they deserve this and then we can just kind of like walk away from it i, I can almost see the blanket god is control and control thing is the same thing where it's like okay well whatever <laughs> like you know, it's this. You see the same thing with the churches that are like, let's let's continue to meet because God is in control and we're His chosen people, so we're not going to get sick. And the rest of the world is like, please don't do that. You're putting all the rest of us at risk. Please stay home as well. Please, please. And the church is like, nope, we're washing the blood, and the blood is stronger than um, this virus. So I, all this kind of stuff just kind of seems like rhetoric. Mm-hmm. Yep. Should I yeah. be flogged? What do you think, Bonnie? <laughs> No, I think you're right. (laughs) I think you're on. And I think there's (laughs) something um, that ties in with the the church's need to be in control. That's what I'm fishing for, too. I was going to say that, too. What do we... Like what? What does that do for us, Bonnie, this this doctrine? What does it do for us? Well, I think you... um, So this is true of any circular like argument anybody that's trying to um, make a case for something like um, we talked about this a few episodes ago too I think like if you go looking for something you can find it so if you like I'm gonna die on the hill that God is in control no matter what then anything that happens um, 
you can make a case of why that's happening because this God is in control is, is staying put. So you can say, well, that happened because of this and that did this. And so this thing never changes. So if God is in control, never changes. And we are God's chosen people. We get some of that control, I think. I think we get some of that power, um, mm. whether it be just in our own minds or if we assert it on others. <laughs> Um, but there's this sort of this sense of the God I serve is in control, and therefore I will X, Y, and Z. Yeah, Tim, you actually mentioned something about how um, the attributes most emphasized by post-Enlightenment Western Christians are, are, are things like power, knowledge, control, and because those are the things we want. Totally, man. I think it's all projection. I, it's um, we want to live in a world that makes sense. We want to be able to master the world, and so we, you know, kind of uh, put those qualities on God. I mean, we want to guarantee safety and security. We want to. We want to. Um, I mean, kind of like what was already mentioned. We want to somehow make sense of all this kind of stuff, and it's hard. It's hard to just say none of this makes sense. This is out of control. Mm -hmm. um, but also, certainly, uh, European theology, I mean, the heritage of Western theology, you know, done by uh, almost entirely white men, um, has been done by the people who have been running the world. And it's not been done by people on the margins, at least the tradition is not controlled by them. And since Western theology has been wrapped up in the imperial project and colonization, it's about power and control and knowledge because that's what you've got to have to sort of be in control of everything and run everything. Mm. And I mean, we don't start uh, thinking theologically from uh, was it Exodus 34 when, when God sort of clears his throat and says, all right, <laughs> Moses, this is who I am. Mm. I mean, none, none of those attributes are, <clears throat> or right. thinking from the cross, where Jesus most fully reveals God. These are these are the points that we, I think we should be building our theology from. But so that's yeah. why I think it's a lot of projection. Mm. So so if so, I want to spend one more, uh, a couple more questions on why this is a problem. Um, one of the things you argue is that it limits uh, and, and it affects our Christian imagination in several different ways. We've already, Tim, hinted at one of those, which is it can lead us to a, a passivity that is not at, in any way, shape, or form biblical. Totally. What were a couple of other uh, things, if you remember, that affect uh... our imaginations, thinking of God this way? Yeah, I mean, on that point, I was—I remember—I um, remember talking to a pastor one time who had someone in his care that was life was kind of going off the rails, and um, it seemed pretty clear to me that he needed to kind of jump in and intervene, and just like any kind of pastoral situation, just just didn't want to. I mean, because it's tough to do that. Mm -hmm. And I'll never forget. This is what he said: "God is sovereign." You know, I, mm -hmm. I'm just like, well, that. That means do something. It doesn't mean don't do anything. If God is sovereign and the situation goes bad, he'll take care of you. I mean, but so, I mean, I think 
human passivity is often justified by just kind of throwing around God's sovereignty or God's control of the situation. I think another way uh, our, our minds are badly activated when we think about this is that uh, we say God is in control to kind of, it's, it's sort of a self-soothing technique to guarantee to ourselves that things are going to work out. God's in control. Things are going to work out. Yeah. Uh, I, mean, I won't just, have to be sad. I won't have to be sorry. Yeah. I'm not going to lose a parent. I'm not going to lose a child. I'm not going to lose a loved one. I'm not going to get sick. I'm not going to lose my job. I mean, th- when we say God is in control, we're, we're, we're addressing our own fears that bad consequences uh, mm-hmm. are not going to happen you know, to us. And it's like, all bets are off. I mean, people, bad things happen. Mm-hmm. And uh, that's, we should not sort of even subtly give ourselves these guarantees. Um, and I, uh, I had to do this recently uh, for the Mark commentary, but I did like a, a section um, reflecting on Mark 13 about how Jesus specifically warns the disciples um, against reading signs uh, as God's activity. Mm-hmm. Um, and I, I researched a bunch of times where people like Jerry Falwell, the senior, and um, I think Franklin Graham and a few others, and this has happened again recently, have interpreted you know, hurricanes or natural disasters as signs of God's judgment. Piper and then, was, was a and then have been called on it and have had to recant. And it's like, you know, we never learn. But but thinking that God is in control, I think, tempts us to look for a divine logic between why this area got hit bad, that area didn't. And, um, you know, of course, we never end up on the bad side of that. But what's wrong with looking Our for side a, a divine? Kind of one. What's wrong with looking for a divine logic, right? Does, doesn't. Doesn't the Bible and some Old Testament passages clearly show divine logic between uh, human misdeeds and then divine punishment? Yeah, uh, it's um, it's important to say that uh, because of God's covenant with Israel, He told them specifically, uh, "When you disobey, I'm going to send these uh, disasters upon you." And so Israel is supposed to actually read those and, and think, all right, we haven't had rain for three years. Um, let's take a look at our, you know, our, our idolatrous practices. Like that's what they are supposed to do. Um, but after, I should say, apart from Israel, uh, we don't have that kind of arrangement with God. That's, I mean, we are told by Jesus, um, you are going to suffer in this world. Mm-hmm. And in Mark, the experience of disciples is this. Uh, it's it's going to feel out of control. John the Baptist is, uh, it's unfortunate because the English translation arrested is handed over in Greek. John the Baptist is handed over. He's mm-hmm. out of his own control. Jesus is handed over and he's out of his own control. And Jesus tells the disciples, you are going to be handed over. Mm-hmm. So the experience of being a disciple in this world is supposed to feel out of control. And we're going to be subject to chaotic events, just like John uh, lost his life because of a stupid uh, boast of a king, um, you know, and a, and a foolish promise uh, to his his wife's daughter. And John the Baptist got wrapped up in that power play. I mean, some idiot king gets drunk, and you might lose your head. Like that's what it feels like in this world if you're faithful to God. Mm. So. Um, 
no, we don't read signs in this time. I mean, if anything, we our reading of these things should be, this is what we get by our choice collectively as humanity to prefer chaos over God's order of shalom. This is, this is what happens. This is reaping and sowing. Yeah. And Job, I mean, Job and his friends all operate according to that divine logic of a perfectly ordered, reasonable universe that God oversees. And uh, all these bad things happen to Job. And, uh, you know, Job's friends are like, well, we know the calculus. These things only happen to sinners. And so what'd you do? And he's like, I'm, honestly, I didn't do anything. It's like that the whole book unfolds that way. And then God comes in and is like, all of you are thinking wrongly about this. And there's not even really, there's no answer at the end of Job. It's just, all of this is way bigger than you think. So just shut up. <laughs> I mean, that's it. And, and ultimately, I mean, God is portrayed in Job as so much infinitely bigger than chaos. But, but, but there's no answer of like, he uses chaos or something like that. It's just like, it's God's bigger and there's more going on than you think. So just shut your mouth. So if control isn't the right way to describe God's relationship to the world, what's a better way? What, what do you propose instead? Uh, I would, I'd want to think uh, very carefully about how God is, God is both sovereign king. God is also um, already present in the future, having already triumphed over all evil and suffering in the world. And God is a genuine participant with us as this whole thing unfolds. So hmm. that drives our thinking and our praying. So when suffering hits, we can we respond to that from, from that complex portrait of God. When suffering hits, we know that we can grieve because God is grieving with us. He's participating with us um, and his spirit. He is grieving by his spirit, like in Romans 8. Um, and, and we can also hope and trust that uh, at some future point, no matter how bad this gets, at the day of Christ, um, the satisfaction will, will be so great in God's triumph over evil and suffering that, that and I'm going to look forward to that. Mm. I mean, I might lose my life. I might lose loved ones. I have no guarantees. Um, but I know that in the future, there will be relief. Mm. And Funny, so I think yeah, from yeah, there. Yeah. Bonnie, what, what do you think, as you hear this, what do you think questions, some of the more obvious issues are going to be for people, you know, hearing this? Yeah, I don't know if this is obvious, uh, but where my mind went was, um, I believe personally for a really long time, I don't believe this anymore, but um, like a rhetoric that I was brought up with was almost swung the other way which was if you are not suffering, you're not living in the way of Jesus. So like if you do have success, if you do have good health, if you have like, so it's like if then you're, um, you're being selfish or you're right. Like, and you better watch out because then you will get smited. Like it's so, and then on top of that, we have a big culture right now of like, live your best life. Um, I can't even say the stuff because I don't listen to it. So I'm like, I think that's a phrase. Um, yeah. But your this best idea life now or something. Yeah. But this which idea is what I'm too, living by the way, at the shutdown. Yeah, there you go. <laughs> but this idea, which I do believe in, cause I think we all should be our, um, 
like show up and try to be our healthiest, most holistic, best selves. Um, but sort of this idea of like, you can't, you, you can take um, power, you can do that hard thing, which is all really good. But it just feels like there's a, sort of a line that needs to be drawn. So I don't know, I, I wonder about that, right? This, this idea of suffering that Jesus says, like, it should feel so like when you said, Tim, it should feel like that, it should feel like you're getting handed over. There has been times in my life where it feels like I've been handed over, uh, mold poisoning, having a stillborn, um, some just like times in ministry that were really hard because I was a woman. There's been specific times, but as a general whole, I don't feel that way. You know what I mean? So then I think, oh, am I doing it wrong? Because I think I was brought up with like, if you have two paths, you always have to choose the path of suffering, even if you don't. Hmm. which my therapist would say the opposite. Yeah. No, I know what you mean. I, there's something, um, there's something bizarre about the lives that we all lead as like, you mm. know, middle-class white people, suburbanites. Yeah. Where yeah, I struggle with this because uh, uh, this is the life I inherited and I, and I like it. I'm comfortable. Mm-hmm. Um uh, it's just that the New Testament, uh, well, I guess I'll say it this way. I think that the theology that many of us have inherited it has a whole lot more to do with white, middle-class, suburban, conservative Christianity than it has to do with the Bible. Yeah. And, uh, and because our lives are controlled and comfortable, we want to, we want to guarantee that they go on this way. Mm-hmm. So that's where the God is in control thing, I think, comes from. Yeah, that makes sense. So... When something bad happens, like a stillborn child or loss of a parent or loss of a loved one or untimely death, it's like, what? I mean, we just, we have no cultural preparation for this. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah. And our, our, our whole, all of our, and I mean, even what you're saying, Bonnie, there's, there's a sense in which um, that preference for sort of the way of suffering or like you should choose the harder thing that comes from a lot of like white middle-class guilt you know, mm. this kind of should be harder. Yeah, I'm just, yeah, yeah. I'm just trying to think about um, the, the way I'm, I'm trying to think about God's relationship to the world is in conversation with all the texts in Scripture, where like the lives, the lives that we lead are just very unusual. Like mm-hmm. this world is chaotic and nuts, and the wheels could come off at any second. And the last seventy years of this very comfortable. Um, straight line of like relative tranquility is a total illusion. Mm. And and when Jesus talks to his disciples about what life is probably going to be like, like not just for you or for me, but like just in general in the world, it's a series of like institutions that we thought were stable just coming undone. Mm-hmm. I mean, the trauma of the temple being destroyed, right. no one could have believed that would happen. Right. I mean, actually in Mark 11 and 12, Jesus goes to the temple, condemns it, and, uh, you know, right in front of the disciples. Then Mark 13 opens, and the disciples are like, hey, Jesus, look at this beautiful temple. And he's like, guys, this whole (laughs) thing is going to be destroyed, and you are going to be looking for guarantees that God is going to save it. But I'm telling you, it's going to be destroyed. God has Mm. just given it up. It's an idolatrous pile of rocks. Mm. So... Anyway, that's just to say, um, 
my life is very comfortable and I'm, and I'm not prepared for everything that's coming. But as I read scripture, it's like the norm for this world and most people in the world live this way yeah. is unpredictable suffering, unpredictable pain that comes into our lives. Mm. And because we have so much comfort and stability, when a tragedy does hit, we just don't even know what to do. And we don't have resources. And yeah. many of our communities, we don't, we can't talk to anybody because people just want to tell us that everything's going to be fine. And we're like, no, this hurts. What the hell? Yeah. We well, it, no makes me, to to. it makes me wonder in your experience, Compass, has the, um, if people that are living with less, uh, less comfortability, less control, um, when something does hit, so like you're saying, when something hits us, we're like, what the, and we don't know what to do. And we're quick to either placate around it and just like send a sympathy card or, um, what did I do? How am I being punished? That yeah. sort of thing. So if you, if this idea of being out of control and that suffering sort of more woven in to a situation, um, I would be so interested to know if then if uh when it does strike if it hits them differently are they asking the same questions about who god is and what something means or not um i would just be fascinated to to know that because they're not yeah. they don't they don't have their comfortability at stake their expectations are different mm -hmm. so it's i not think a crisis so of faith yeah it could be i mean it's it's interesting uh just being in, in conversation with a, di a diverse body of ministry leaders here, you know, because I'm teach. Um, I mean, bad theology infects every community. Yeah. So, I mean, people, um, yeah, people can interpret their theology. I don't know. Yeah. I'm not sure that any cultural location has yeah. better theology, but I think that people on the margins, uh, people who have really suffered, uh, have fewer illusions about life. Yeah. Do you know what I mean? Yeah, that's what I'm thinking. Yeah. That's a good but I think especially I've been the last couple of years, I've been reading as much as I can written by black women mm -hmm. uh, because I mean, they are just, they are the truth tellers about our culture and um, mm -hmm. they have few illusions about how things go and it's refreshing and it's, it's helpful it's, because I was, I inherited loads of illusions and, and I'm trying to dismantle them. Um, so that I'm not, you know, I don't bind anything false, but also so that I can kind of drill down and tap into true sources of joy and, mm -hmm. and receive my brothers and sisters um, in the big family of God uh, for the gifts that they are. So I don't know. Our illusions are our enemies. The enemies are not out there. They're mm -hmm. in here. Mm -hmm. And know. for the record, Tim pointed to his head. <laughs> um, just want to let Tim you know pointed that. to a random... Yeah, uh, he pointed, I think he pointed at Tim Stafford. So, Tim, um, this is such interesting stuff. And I think I speak for all of us when I say, man, it raises a whole bunch of practical questions that we are eager to explore with you. So if you would just uh, be with us for um, some more time and allow us to kind of explore the implications for what this means about prayer, about miracles, about stuff like that, I think it'd be really helpful for our audience. Does that sound good? Cool. Yeah, super. Fantastic. Fantastic.